You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, you know, when, whenever, you know, giving comes up or, or, or tithing comes up, you know, sometimes there's a lot of questions. You know, sometimes people will ask questions like, well, you know, there's this widow in, in my neighborhood and, you know, and, and, you know, could I just, you know, give my tithe? You know, could I just help her and, and, and financially support her? Or, you know, uh, could, I, could I sponsor my, my local food bank or can I sponsor a child in, in, in a third world country instead of tithing to the church? Or sometimes people might even just be bold to say, you know what, tithing is not even taught in the, in the New Testament. It was only in the Old Testament. And they would say, you know what, tithing is not for today. Well, this morning we're going to see that, that in the Old Testament, and by Old Testament, by the way, we mean the first half of the Bible, everything written before the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to see this morning that in the Old Testament, tithing was a, was a matter of keeping the law, whereas in the New Testament, it was a matter of worship. It, 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 it was done freely, willingly. In the Old Testament, you gave because you had to, because the law required you to. But in the New Testament, you give because you're free to give. You're free to give if you want to give. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, God loves a cheerful giver. Although I did see a sign outside of a church that said, God loveth a cheerful giver, but he also accepteth from a grouch. Uh, but this morning we're going to see that, 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 that giving is really a, a matter of the heart. It's a matter of worship. It's a matter of love. You're free to do it if you want to do it. Now on that note, as we go back now to verse 1, uh, the first six verses, we're going to see that Paul is dealing with yet another matter of freedom. A matter of freedom. And so again in verse 1, Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If, others, if to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. That word examine can also be translated criticize. Verse 4, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the, the, the right to take along a believing wife or, 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 or as do the other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Now let's get some context because we, we took a break. Uh, let's, let me kind of remind you, let me refresh your memory what Paul's talking about. Remember, back in chapter 8, we saw that Paul was addressing this whole idea of, of Christian liberties, Christian freedoms. In other words, there, there are certain things that maybe, maybe one believer is, is mature enough in their faith, mature enough as a believer, that they can do those things with the clean conscience before the Lord. But then again, that very same thing might actually stumble another believer who might be weaker in their faith when it comes to that thing. Uh, you know, back in chapter 8, we saw that in Paul's day, this, this issue of freedom, this issue of liberty he was talking about, had to do with eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Not so much a, a problem in our culture. We don't walk into, you know, McDonald's and say, hey, was that Big Mac sacrificed to an idol? And, and so, not a problem in our culture. No, in, in our culture, the issues of, of, of Christian liberties and Christian freedoms usually deal with things like, you know, drinking alcohol or watching certain kinds of movies or listening to a certain style of music or dressing a certain way or the list goes on and on. But now remember, back in chapter 8, we, we saw that Paul was basically saying, you know, uh, it, it, you know we tend to think that, that the, the strong believer, the mature believer, is the one who has the freedom to do this or to do that or to do this. And then we tend to think that the weaker believer is the one who gets easily offended whenever I exercise my freedom to do this or that. 
But we saw in chapter 8 that really uh, the, the, the truth is, is that the strong Christian is not the one who exercises his freedom to do this. Rather, it's the one who exercises his love. Paul said back in chapter 8, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so sure, you, you have the freedom to do this and, and the freedom to do that. But then again, maybe out of love, you choose to give up your freedom for the sake of your weaker brother. Now we saw back in chapter 8 that, that really the weaker brother is not the one who's easily offended. Rather, the weaker brother would be the one who's easily stumbled. You know, like we said before, maybe, maybe they're a recovering alcoholic and, and maybe, maybe your freedom to have a, an occasional drink every now and then might be the very thing that would stumble them and send them back to a lifestyle of addiction and, and, and alcoholism. And so maybe out of love for them because you care for them, maybe you choose to give up your freedom and so, that, so that they won't stumble, so that they won't fall. Now that was chapter eight that Paul dealt with. Now here in chapter nine, <coughs> we see that the Apostle Paul is now using himself as, 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 as an example of giving up freedom out of, out of the sake of love for someone else. He's using himself as an example. Now, the freedom that, that Paul's giving up here in chapter 9 was the freedom to receive a paycheck, the freedom to receive salary because he was serving in the ministry. Now, before we get to that, one other piece of context. We need to remember that the Corinthian church, the Corinthian Christians, were very critical of the Apostle Paul, remember? We saw that back in chapter 4. I mean, they, they criticized everything. They criticized his physical appearance. They criticized his, his public speaking ability. And, and, and on more than one occasion, they were very critical. They, 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 they especially challenged his authority. They would say over and over again that, 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 that Paul was not a real apostle meaning that he wasn't one of the original 12 apostles. He wasn't a real apostle. And so now, with that in mind, here in the first two verses of chapter 9, he's now defending his apostleship. He's defending his apostleship. Now remember, biblically speaking, there were, there were at least two requirements to be an apostle. Number one, uh, to be an apostle, you had to have personally eyewitnessed and seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now we know that's a requirement. Uh, we get that out of Acts chapter 1, verse 22. Acts chapter 1, verse 22, it says that you must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So, in, so to be qualified to be an apostle, you had to have seen the resurrected Jesus. Now, of course, we know that Paul did see the resurrected Jesus. Remember, he was on the Damascus road. Jesus appears to him, knocks him down, and strikes him blind. But then, secondly, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4 tells us that another sign of a real apostle was the ability to do signs and wonders and miracles. Now, obviously, the apostle Paul, when you study the book of Acts, he performed signs and wonders. You know, all kinds of healings. He healed the sick. In fact, not only did Paul heal the sick, but it's interesting. In fact, ironically, in Acts chapter 13, we read that he actually strikes a sorcerer by the name of Alemus with blindness. Kind of like a reverse healing. Imagine coming one of these you know, TV preachers and they're like, who wants to be struck with blindness? Nobody would come forward, right? Yeah, so he, 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 but he obviously performed signs and wonders and miracles, proving thus that he was an apostle. And now here in the first two verses, Paul now gives the third sign that he really was, the third proof that, that he was an apostle, that he really was being used by God, and that was the Corinthians themselves. I mean, the very fact that these pagan Greeks living in the city of Corinth have become Christians, that they've turned away from paganism, and they're now following Jesus, that was proof alone that God was using Paul in their lives. 
And so now with that uh, as kind of the backdrop, he then says in verse, verse 6, he says, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Now here's the issue at hand. The issue at hand is, is, that, is that in general, the apostles were, were, were supported by the church. They were financially supported by the church so that the apostles could, could devote their lives to studying the scriptures, studying the word of God, and preaching the word of God, and ministering to the people of God. And so we wonder, well, if Paul was an apostle, then why wasn't he on payroll? Why wasn't he receiving a salary? The answer is that he chose not to. He, he chose not to. In fact, we know that's the case because three different times the passage told us that. We see it once in, in verse 12, we see it again in verse 15, and yet again in verse 18, that which all say that he, he chose not to use his right. He gave up his right to receive a paycheck. He gave up his right. But, but why? Why? Well, it was for their sake. Out of love for them, he gave up his, 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 his right to receive a salary. But we wonder, well, why was he giving up his right? Well, so that, so that ultimately money wouldn't have been, been a stumbling block for the Corinthians. Now, let me tell you, there's two things culturally that feed into this passage that you need to be aware of. Number one, the first thing culturally was that in that day, there was a group of traveling philosophers known as the cynics. Now, the cynics would travel from town to town, and, and, and when they get there, they kind of set up a little makeshift uh, stage of sorts, and, and they would do a lot of public speaking, gather a crowd, and, and then afterwards, they would pass out a bag, a collection bag. It was literally called the beggar's bag. And they'd pass it around, and they'd pour on a guilt trip and make you feel really, really bad, and, and, and they would pass this bag around, and then when it came all the way around, they'd look at it. If there's not enough in it, they'd pass it around again, and then again, and again, and again, and again. And so number one, Paul wanted to make sure that the gospel would never be associated with that kind of nonsense. So that was, that was number one. Now number two, the second thing happening in that culture was that there were these false apostles, these false preachers who would also travel from town to town and they claimed that they were real apostles, that they were true preachers of the gospel. And then they would take up a collection and they would pour on the guilt and they would try to manipulate you into giving. And worse than that, they would also manipulate you into you opening your home so that they could live there. And you would support them. You'd pay for all their needs. And they would just use you and milk you for all that you had. And so on more than one occasion, the Apostle Paul warned the church about these false apostles, these false preachers. In fact, that's what Paul has in mind in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, when he talks about those who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. He says, from such, withdraw yourself. And so Paul warned that they had frauds and charlatans in his day, and guess what? We have frauds and charlatans in our day. In fact, some of you probably saw this in the, in the news. It was, it was viral a few weeks ago. But a few weeks ago, the internet was buzzing about the news of a pastor named Carlton Funderburk, who was the pastor of, of the church at the well in Kansas City. And, and on a Sunday morning, he, he got up and he publicly berated his church for not giving him a luxury watch. And so he publicly got up and, and he said that he and his wife were, quote unquote, poor, broke, busted, and disgusted. He said because they were honoring their pastor with their McDonald's money and not their Red Lobster money. And he said, quote, I ain't worth your, your, your St. John Nitz. I ain't worth your, your Louis Vuitton. I ain't worth your Prada. I ain't worth your Gucci. He said, you all know that I asked for a Movado. Now, if you don't know, a Movado is a, is a luxury watch ranging in price from 400 all the way up to more than three grand. He says, he says, you all know that I asked for a Movado last year, and here, it, it, it ain't even the whole way in August, and I still ain't got it. 
And he went on and on for another half hour berating his church. And so it was because of these kinds of abuses back in Paul's day that the Apostle Paul chose not to receive a salary uh, from the Corinthians. And, and, he, and he did that for them. He didn't want to stumble them. Money was a stumbling block for them, and he didn't want to add to that and stumble them. He didn't want his ministry to be confused with the ministry of these frauds and charlatans. So out of love for them, he willingly gave up his right to receive a salary. But nevertheless, even though he gave up his right to receive a salary, as the chapter develops, you see that, that, that Paul nevertheless teaches that it's biblical to support the ministry. For example, in verses 7 through 11, he gives now two reasons, two examples for giving to the ministry. Verse 7, he says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who, who plants a vineyard with, without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these on, on, on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it's written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It is written for our sake. Because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in the hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Now again, the context. The Apostle Paul has, has given up his right to receive a salary from the Corinthian church and he did it out of love for them. But at the same time, it's like some of them completely missed the point. In fact, you know, on the one hand, it's like some were thinking, well, you know, he, he's not a real apostle anyway. He's not one of the original 12. He's not a real apostle. So if he's not a real apostle, we don't really have to support his ministry. Reminds me years ago, Richard DeHaan had said, if a pastor receives a large salary, they say he's a mercenary. But if he receives a small salary, they say, well, he really wasn't worth that much anyway. That's what they were saying about Paul. You know, he's not a real apostle, so we don't have to support his ministry. But then on the other hand, there might have been others who, who, who misunderstood what Paul was doing. You know, instead, they, they, they might have thought that, that Paul was setting a, a, a new standard for those who serve in the ministry. And that this new standard was that if you serve in the ministry, you serve at your own expense. You know, you, you work your nine to five, you know, but then in your spare time, in your free time, you know, uh, you, you, know you, you go and you preach the gospel and you plant churches and you do hospital visits and you do marriage counseling and premarital counseling and, you know, that you're, that you're supposed to have your nine to five, but then also basically be available full time around the clock 24-7. And so what Paul now does is he gives two examples to show that that's really not how it works. So example number one is what I'd call the real world example. The real world example, and example number two is the biblical example. Now, the real world example. First of all, we see that in verse 7 when Paul says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Or who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends the flock without, without getting some of the milk? So in effect, what, what Paul's saying is, listen, in the real world, when, when, when a business hires somebody uh, to do a job, they don't expect them to do it for free. No, they, they put them on payroll. They, they, they've hired them. And so he's saying, listen, in the same way, some of you Corinthians, you know, some of you are, are, are serving as soldiers in the, in the Roman military. Others of you, you know, you, you, work, you work in vineyards or, or you work as a shepherd. And he's saying, listen, if you serve in the Roman military, the military doesn't expect you to, to do that at your own expense. They, they don't expect you to, to defend your country uh, during the day and then stock shelves at night at Walmart. You know, they, they, and they certainly don't expect you to buy your own ammo and your own weapons and your own uniform and your own helmet. No, that's provided for. 
Or the same way if, if you're a shepherd or, or if you're a vine dresser, you know, and no one expects you to starve to death while you do that. No, you're allowed to eat of the fruit of the vine. You're allowed to drink some of the milk from, from, from the flock. In other words, what he's saying is that, you know, in the real world, no one expects an employee to do it for free. You've hired them and you pay them. That's how it works in the real world. And what Paul's saying is, listen, the ministry is the real world. He's just saying that it works the same. So that was the real world example. But then uh, he then gives the biblical example. Verse 8, he says, Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it's written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now, Paul now is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 25. Now, here's what's happening in Deuteronomy 25. You see, after they, would, after they would harvest the grain, they would then bring it to the threshing room, the threshing floor. And, and, and in the center of the room, there was this wheel of sorts, if you would. And, and there'd be this ox kind of, kind of, you know, uh, 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 harnessed to the wheel. And then the ox would walk around in a circle. And as he's walking around in a circle, with his feet, he's crushing, he's, he's, he's threshing the wheat. He's separating the wheat from the chaff. Now, the thing is, is that as he's doing that, he would eat as he goes. In fact, that's what motivates the ox to go. The fact that he gets to eat a little here and then, and then take a step and eat a little here, take a step. And so certainly, you wouldn't muzzle the ox. Because if you muzzle the ox, well, then he stops working. In fact, it's his hunger, it's his appetite that drives him to keep going. And, and so Paul asks the question. He, he, says, uh, he says, is it for the oxen that God's concerned? Or, or as the late Warren Wiersbe put it, he says, since oxen cannot read, this wasn't written for them. <laughs> and Paul answers that. He, he says, no, it, it, was, it was for our sake. It was for our benefit. And so this has become a, an illustration to, uh, to, uh, of the biblical principle that it's biblical to, to, to support the work of the ministry. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, it says, let the elders, some translations will say, let the pastors who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard for preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. And so Paul, he gives the, 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 the real world example, and then he gives the biblical example that, is, that, that, you know, that it's biblical to support the ministry. But now, verse 12 through 14 now Paul challenges the idea that, that giving was just an Old Testament thing. He's challenging now the idea that giving was just an Old Testament thing. Verse 12 says again, If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than, than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the, in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So now maybe there was a third group in the Corinthian church, and, and maybe this is the group that's saying, you know, you know, wasn't tithing just an Old Testament thing? You know, I mean, I mean didn't Jesus abolish the law at his, at his death and resurrection? Now listen, by the way, when we talk about the Old Testament, you know, that first half of the Bible, you have to keep in mind that the Old Testament was the Bible of the early church. That was their Bible. That's what they were reading. And so Paul is basically referring to, to Numbers chapter 18, verse 26. Numbers 18, verse 26, that teaches that, that, that those in the Old Testament who served in the ministry were provided by the ministry. But then he goes on to show that, that Jesus taught the same thing. 
You see, he's, he's, he's pointing out that Jesus didn't contradict the law. Jesus didn't change the law. No, Jesus confirmed the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. And so he says in verse 14, he says, In the same way the Lord has commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And he says the Lord has commanded, he, says he's, he means he's quoting Jesus. Now we don't have the specific word-for-word quote, but more than likely this is referring to the time where Jesus sent out his, his, his 70 disciples two by two to go out and to preach and to, and to cast out demons. And, and he tells them, look, I'm going to send you out and, and, and wherever you go, if people open up their homes, he then says in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, he says, stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give to you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. And so what Paul's doing when he says that, that the Lord has commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should, 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 their, uh, should, should get their living by the gospel, he's simply showing that, 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 that Jesus didn't contradict the Old Testament, Jesus confirmed the Old Testament. He, 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 he fulfilled the Old Testament. Augustine, or, or Augustine, however you like to pronounce him, but regardless, Augustine or Augustine had said that the new is in the old. He, he said the, the Old Testament concealed is the New Testament revealed. He didn't contradict it. He fulfilled it. And now with that, as we pick it up, verses 15 through verse 18, which is as far as we go, we, we see that for Paul, love was the motivating factor. Love was the motivating factor. He says in verse 15, but... I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, then I am entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make use of my right in the gospel. And so, again, Paul is, is pointing out that, that, that out of love for the Corinthians, he gave up his right to receive a paycheck, to receive a salary. In fact, he, he, he's, we, we've pointed out, he said that three different times. Once in verse 12, once in verse 15, and again at the end of verse 18, he says he's made no use of this right, this right to receive a paycheck. Why? Well, so that he, as he, as he put it in verse 18, so that he could preach the gospel free of charge. But now, even though he's, he, he's illustrated that he gave up his right, nevertheless, uh, by way of review, he, he, he established, first of all, that he was a real apostle, and that as an apostle, he, as a minister of God's word, he does have the right to receive a salary for preaching God's word. And then, he, as we saw, he, he gave two arguments, the, the real-world argument and the biblical argument, that in the real world, when you hire somebody, you pay them. If you're a soldier, uh, you, you, know, you have the right to be paid for, for, for protecting your country. If you're, a, if you're a shepherd or a farmer, you have the, you have the right to, to, to partake of the fruit of the harvest. And so in the same way, he who, who sows the seed of the gospel uh, is, has the right to, 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 to tangibly be provided for, to be taken care of. And then he illustrates it biblically. You know, Numbers, uh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 25 again that if you don't expect the oxen to work for free when he's fresh, threshing the wheat, then why would you expect the ox at the pulpit to, to not support his family, is what he's saying. And so he's saying, you know, that the oxen is worthy of its hire. But then, by way of review, we saw that, that Paul then shows that giving was not just an Old Testament thing. 
The, the, yeah, he, he, he does refer to, to Numbers chapter 18, verse 26, that showed that, that those who served in the ministry, the priests and the Levites, they were provided for by the ministry. Um, and by the way, when we talk about the Old Testament and the tithing in the Old Testament, you do need to understand that, that they, they gave much more than just 10%. 10% was kind of the start. In the Old Testament, you'll see that, the, yeah, they, they gave their first 10%. Uh, they, they gave that uh, to, to support the, the, the work of the priests and the Levites, to support the workers of the ministry. That's what that first 10% was for. It was to support the workers of the ministry. But then in addition to that, above and beyond on top of that, then they gave another tithe that was to be used to provide for the temple, to take care of the needs of the temple and, and, and the needs of the feast. And then on top of that, in addition to that, there was another tithe that they would give to take care of the poor and the needy. In other words, all those things didn't come out of the same 10%. In fact, when you, when you add up all of the tithes of, and offerings of the Old Testament, they didn't give 10%, they, they gave more like 25 to 26% is what they gave. And now what really, Paul's kind of pointing out that, that many of the reasons for giving in the Old Testament are still the same reasons to give in the New Testament. You know, we like to say, well, tithing was just for the Old Testament. And Paul's kind of illustrating, no, the same reasons you gave in the Old are still the same reasons you give in the New. For example, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, you gave 10% to, to support the work of the priests and the Levites, to support the workers of the ministry. And in the same way, in verse 14, Paul says, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. You provided for the ministers in the old, and you still do in the new. And then likewise, on top of that, in the Old Testament, they also provided a tithe to take care of the poor and the needy. Well, that's continued in the New Testament as well. In fact, later on, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we see that Paul takes up a special offering for the poor of Jerusalem. For the poor of Jerusalem. In fact, later on in Galatians, uh, the Apostle Paul mentions that the only requirement that the other apostles in Jerusalem had for Paul's ministry was he said in Galatians chapter 2 verse 10, he said, they desire only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. And so they, they gave to support the work of the ministry. They gave to support the poor. And then on top of that, in the New Testament, you also gave to support missions and church planting. For example, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says, Now you Philippians know also that at the beginning of the gospel, when I, when, I, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And so what Paul's saying is that as he went from, from this place to that place and preached the gospel here and planted a church there, at that time, one of the only churches that were supporting his missions outreaches, his missions trips, his, his efforts to plant churches were the Philippian church. But they gave to support the work of the ministry. They gave to support the poor and they gave to support missions and church planting. And by the way, although it's true that, that Paul did not receive a, a salary, a paycheck from the Corinthian church, you know what? He did receive a paycheck. It was just from a different church. It wasn't the Corinthian church, but he was receiving a paycheck from different churches. How do we know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8, Paul says, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. Now, when he says, I robbed other churches, he doesn't mean he was embezzling funds. <laughs> what, what he's saying is, is, is this. He's saying, you know what? While I wasn't receiving a paycheck from you, I was receiving a paycheck. There, there was another church. There were other churches that put me on their payroll so I could come to you and work full-time in the ministry for you. So I could, I could preach the word. I could minister to you. And so I, I, I wasn't on your payroll, but I was on payroll. 
Like the Philippian church, for example, would be, would be one of the ones. You know, in the same way, when, when, when I started this church 25 years ago, back in 1997, when, when Crossroads Calvary Chapel sent me out here uh, at, at the beginning, they kept me on their payroll. And so 100% of my payroll was coming from them. They, they kept me on the payroll. I was coming out here and, and, and doing the ministry here. And, and then as, as our church began to grow and our church got stronger and healthier and, and, and little by little, uh, it got to the point where, where they were able to support a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. Well, then Crossroads kind of changed. And, and so they went from supporting me full-time to then supporting me uh, part-time. And then after two and a half years of, of, of supporting us part-time, they then allowed you to support us full-time at that point, back in 1999. And, 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 but the point is, is that they were paying for the ministry, but they weren't reaping the benefits of it. You were. And that's what Paul's saying about, about the Corinthians. He's saying, look, the Philippians are paying for the ministry, but, 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 but the reason they're being robbed is because I'm, I, I, I'm receiving their payroll, but they're not getting the ministry. They're not getting the benefit. The Corinthians are getting the benefit. And so they paid and you received. And so really what we see in the New Testament is really that the emphasis was on the heart of the giver rather than on the percentage of the gift. In the Old Testament, you know, it was always the percentage. You know, you give this percent and that percent and this percent. In the New Testament, the, 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 the emphasis is on the heart of the giver rather than the percentage of the gift. You know, for example, we, we, we quoted this at the very beginning, but 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, nor out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, that word cheerful, it comes from the Greek word hilarion. Uh, we get the word hilarious from it. Now, when was the last time you saw a hilarious giver? I've met some hilarious receivers, but, but what does a hilarious giver, what does a cheerful giver look like? Well, I think a great example would come actually from, from, from the, the, the children of Israel in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 25, uh, verse 2, God speaks to Moses and he says, uh, he says speak uh, to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And notice the phrases, willingly from his heart. In other words, if it didn't come from a willing heart, God didn't want it. Well, now later on, I mean, you, sometimes you hear people say, you know, you know, got to give till it hurts. God's like, you know what? If it hurts that much, don't give it. So then later on, what happened is, is in Exodus chapter 36, we see that the people are bringing their gifts and they're bringing their offerings. In fact, it gets to the point where they're bringing so much that the leaders of the people tell the people, they say, look, you're, you're, you're being too generous. You're giving too much. You got to stop giving. <laughs> Now, when was the last time you ever heard a TV preacher say something like that? Can you imagine one of these TV preachers getting there with their, with their slick back hair and their big, fake, cheesy smile, you know, just getting up there, you know, praise the Lord, hallelujah, you've been too faithful, you've been too generous, you give too much money, in fact, we're going to give some money back, said no TV preacher ever. But, but why? Why were they so generous? Why, why are they just giving and giving even? Why? Well, because when you think about it, the children of Israel had been slaves for 400 years to Egypt. And after four centuries of being slaves to Egypt, God set them free. And it's almost like in their heart, the only way they can respond, they just, they're just, there's just so much in their heart after being set free after four centuries that they just couldn't help themselves. They were just freely giving. In the same way, when you think about it, you and I, we've been set free, right? I mean, doesn't your Bible say in John chapter 8, verse 32, that, it, that if you commit a sin, you're a slave of sin? 
But then the good news is it goes on in John chapter 8, verse 36 to say, he who the Son has set free is free indeed. We've been set free. And so some of you, you you've been set free from, from slavery to alcoholism and addiction or, or, or to pornography. Or others of you, uh, like, like myself, grew up victims of child abuse. Or, or, and you have all this baggage, or, or maybe there was like, like adultery, or, 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 or divorce, or this, or that, or the other, and all these things in our past. But listen, the Bible says that you've been set free. And now it's in the same way you've been set free. It's like maybe you just can't even help yourself. As Jesus said in, in Matthew 10, verse 8, he said, freely you have received, freely give. It's just so much he's done in your life, so much he's changed in your heart, so much that that, has just happened, you can't help yourself. Now listen, on that note, some of you may have wondered, you know, why is it that we never talk about money? You know, you, you know, you never see us pass a plate. You never see us pass a little offering bag. You know, we, 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 you know, we, we, we don't guilt trip people. We don't manipulate. You know, we just, we just, you know, just kind of just keep it on the down low. We only talk about it when the Bible talks about it. And, and, and in fact, I've had people come up and they ask me, they say, well, how do you keep the lights on around here? Or how can I give to this place? And so we wonder, well, well why don't you talk about money? Answer, because frankly, I've always believed that if you're going to do it, it should be done freely. It should be done freely. Not not from a guilty heart. Uh, It should be done from a cheerful heart. It's an act of worship, not an act of obligation. And and, and so that's why ever since I planted this church 25 years ago, we've never taken a single offering. You know, 25 years ago, we we had a little coffee can in the back of the room. If you wanted to give to the work of the Lord, you just put some money in the can. Now we've upgraded and we've got a little wooden box in the back of the room. But listen, we've had that same wooden box for 24 years. If it looks like it's from the 90s, it is. And of course, we also have online and all that, but, but the point is, is we, we've, never, you know, we, we've never taken that big box and just handed it around the room. You know, and we, don't, we don't manipulate, we don't, we don't lay on the guilt trip. You know, Pastor Chuck Smith used to say this. In fact, Chuck said it so many times, I used to think it was in the Bible. But Pastor Chuck would always say, where God guides, God provides. Or as the late Hudson Taylor once said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's support. And I've always believed that. And so the, the truth of the matter is that, is that we have by faith trusted that he's going to provide and it's been working for 25 years and so we're not going to change it. We're going to keep doing that for the next 25 years. Just trusting that he'll provide. And so listen, when it comes to giving, if your heart's not in it, don't do it. Because when it comes to giving, frankly, generosity is, is really a reflection of the heart. After all, Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so when it comes to giving, listen, the Lord loves it when it comes from a cheerful heart, not a guilty heart, not a grudgingly heart. He loves it when, when, when because he's done so much in your life and, and, and he's freed you and he's changed you that you just can't help it. So you're free to give. So Father, we thank you for, for your word. And Lord, sometimes your word is harder to hear than other times. But Lord, it's your word. Our responsibility is to, is to take it, to read it. And then as it says in James, not only to be hearers of it, but doers thereof. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.